seated. And if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 28. All right. Acts chapter 28. Today we finish the book of Acts as we've been uh, journeying through it for a few months now. It's been an awesome lesson to see how Paul was greatly used over these last few weeks of studying his life and how God was guiding him providing for him um, as a, an announcement, maybe before we get into this study, uh, we're going to be finishing the book of Acts, which was written by Luke. And then starting Sunday mornings, we're actually going to go to Luke's gospel and study uh, how he got firsthand testimony of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus and we're going to go through the book of Luke. We've kind of had a little sneak peek this last few weeks with Christmas and kind of diving into Luke's recording of the Christmas account. But we're going to journey through learning about Luke's gospel. And then Wednesday evenings, keep Wednesday evenings in prayer. We're going to see what God does with uh, our, our midweek Bible study. But along with that, we're going to be journeying into the book of Exodus, as we just finished the book of Genesis, uh, we want to take a look at the life of Moses and how God used a man to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness to the promised land. But wrapping up now, the book of Acts, feeling super blessed to actually complete the book of Acts. We've gone through a few New Testament books now. We went through uh, the book of Revelation, we went through the book of John, the Gospel of John, we finished the book of Romans, and now Acts. And it's so cool when you take time to, to study the Word, when you go through, you start to get uh, more and more understanding of the whole picture of the Bible. And it, the Lord is using this in my life to help me really see the the outline of what God was doing with his people. And, and it's such a blessing now to see how the book of Acts, it started with just 11 guys. And then they brought Paul into their, their 12th man. And they started to change the whole world. They started to turn the world upside down. And just to see how God was using them. And then about the ninth chapter of Acts, Saul gets converted. Saul gets converted on the Damascus Road and he becomes Paul. And then we started to see how God was using this one man who wrote most of our New Testament. He was using him mightily. And when we left off in Paul's mission trips, as this is uh, now close to his, his third mission trip, he's journeying, and it's really more of a, a prison trip than a mission trip, <laughs> but the Lord had called him to Rome to, to teach the gospel. And with this, he knew that he was going to go bound in chains. And still he went forward. He went forward with the call of God in his life. And when we left off, when Paul was on this ship to head towards Rome, as they're journeying through the Mediterranean, if you remember, the storm came. And the storm was had them basically trying to survive for 14 days out there in the seas. And they couldn't go the course that they had planned, but God was using this storm in Paul's life to guide them. And Paul was given a word from an angel to say, everyone stay on the boat and don't get off of it. And everyone's going to survive. The boat itself would be destroyed, but if everyone stayed on the ship, everyone would survive. And so Paul told that to the, the, the captain and everyone listened and slowly but surely the boat started to fall apart and they started to grab boards and, and surfboards and, and, and the little like floaties that they put on your arms to just so you could stay afloat. No, they didn't do that. But they were out there and the God allowed them to survive that storm. And they got shipwrecked 
on an island called Malta. It's a little island that exists to this day, uh, right a little bit south of Sicily. And if you look up Google images of it, it's quite beautiful. And uh, they've built quite some awesome churches there now since because Paul has some history there. And this is where we left off, where Paul, after the 14-day storm, was shipwrecked on Malta. So let's begin with Acts chapter 28, beginning with verse 1. It says, Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And this is them having escaped the storm. Now again, that little island Malta, it's between Sicily and Tripoli. And that word Malta, it comes from a a word meaning refuge. It means to escape. And I believe that's what Paul saw Malta as. It, It was God's refuge for him. When I think of God being our refuge, I'm reminded of Psalm 46. Psalm 46 says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. I think we were just singing about that a little bit ago. But God is our refuge, a very present help in trouble. Now, Paul experienced God become his refuge in the storm. And we can experience God being our refuge in our own storms. But we must accept God as our refuge, submit to him, rest on him. Jesus wants us to rest on him. I remember people used to tell me like, oh, well, they use God as, you guys use God as like a crutch. And I was like, well, that, that's how you're supposed to you allow God to be in your life. That's the way it's supposed to be. Someone to, to rest on, that we can trust in. And the world is using the vices, sin, and immorality as their own crutch. But where does that get them? In verse 2, after they were shipwrecked on Malta, it says, And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. Now, as you guys are gathering here today underneath the heaters, you're experiencing that warmth, hopefully on your shoulders right now. When it's cold outside, when it's wet and rainy and you just came out of the storm, the perfect storm of your lifetime, a fire would seem really nice. We realize these natives that they were super kind. There on the the island of Malta, these natives would have been from Phoenician ethnicity. Now they were not just barbarians, but they were actually civilized and cultivated people But they didn't speak Greek, Hebrew, or Latin, so they called them barbarians or natives. Anyone who didn't speak one of those three main languages, they referred to them as barbarians. And that word barber, barbar, because that's how they they felt that people talked. Now, as these barbarians, these natives are showing them this kindness after these men had just arrived, the fire would have been a comfort for them. It would have kept them healthy. It would have kept them strong because the storm was strong. So you can imagine this picture now of all these Romans and some of the prisoners there with Paul. It says now in verse three, but when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So in verse 3, at the beginning of it, we see Paul gathering bundles of sticks. And that's something that we note of Paul. He was a man who loved to serve. He wasn't a man who could just sit still, but he wanted to be involved. Though he had just been shipwrecked and perhaps felt that he needed to be taken care of, he was a man who was going out gathering sticks to help his other brothers there. 
And now as they're letting this fire grow, all of a sudden they, from this fire, a viper comes out, escaping the heat, and it bites his hand. I don't know if you guys have ever uh, watched Indiana Jones and that fear that Harrison Ford has of the snakes, but the fear of snakes is a, I'm not scared of snakes. I love reptiles, actually. <laughs> but I know some people are really terrified of snakes. So to see that viper come out and then bite him, it must have been a, a crazy experience where it's fastened onto his hand. He's like, ah. And what was Paul doing, though? He was serving the Lord. You see, sometimes when we're serving, it doesn't keep us away from trials. Yet we still need to have that servant's attitude. This past week, uh, we had opportunity to, as we were gathering with some family here and there and in our homes, we had opportunity to serve. And it, when you look back at this past weekend with, or week with Christmas, uh, did you pass the test that God was giving you? Were there opportunities for you to serve and you didn't want to do it? Or was your heart full of joy when the Lord was giving you these tasks to serve? And if not, look at this. We have this next week coming up again with New Year's Eve, another week of holiday. And again, we're going to be tested. Will we be servants? Will we be loving and show unusual kindness to people? So now as this serpent bites Paul, notice Paul, he doesn't scream and run away like a little girl. Um, but he just simply shakes it off. And then in verse four, so when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. Now, the way these natives are seeing this, they see Paul barely escaped dying at the sea. And now a viper has come and bit his hand. You see, these natives, their cultural beliefs led them to think that Paul had done some terrible thing to deserve this viper bite. You see, they, that's similar to karma. You see, a popular belief today, which exists, is karma. That you know, when you do bad things through some crazy scenario, bad things will come back to you. Now, karma is by no means biblical. However, the Bible does teach that we reap what we sow. And there's consequences to our actions. And God is a God of justice. So maybe if there's people who are getting away with evil now, eventually in eternity they will have justice meet them. Now, the Bible, on the other hand, it also teaches about God's grace, about God's mercy, and his patience towards us. So sometimes when we deserve bad, we don't get it. Actually, we all really deserve hell. But by the grace of God, we're here. Now, can God allow you to be punished for doing wrong and reward you for doing good? Absolutely. But it's not a, a rule that he has to follow. God it can work his goodness in a sinner's life to bring them to repentance. Now, if God punished me for my sins at this very moment, I would just drop dead. But however, because of his mercy, I live. And because of his grace, we live eternally. We have a future with our heavenly father. So this is the idea that these natives had that because Paul was now being bitten by this viper, he must be some sort of murderer that, that karma is now coming after him or their, their gods are coming after Paul to, to smite him. And then at verse five, it says, but he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. 
See, he simply just shakes it off. When Satan attacks, what do we do? You submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And Paul lived this out. In Isaiah's prophecies, in Isaiah 43, when Isaiah is writing about the nation of Israel going through trials, he's prophesying, this is what the Lord says to the nation of Israel when Satan attacks. It says, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned nor shall flame scorch you. See, this is the power that God has in our lives to protect us, to keep us, so that we will not be harmed by the vipers in our life. Chris shared this verse with me just the other day, and I thanked him for it. Psalm 91. In Psalm 91, 10 and 11, it says, No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. You see, God has that ability, that power to save us from trial, not only eternally, which is our most important need, but in the land of the, of the living today. So there's a a lot of fear right now in our world. There's a lot of fear in our church. There's a lot of fear on the streets and in our homes. But know this, that God is sovereign. He's in control. We see our governor as the big bad guy who's closing down all all of our businesses. Is God not on the throne? If God is allowing him to do this, to have businesses shut down, trust in the Lord. Do bad things happen? Yeah, absolutely. Is God sometimes not approving of the things that leaders are doing? Absolutely. But ultimately, he has a plan. All things are working for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Back in Acts 28, look at verse 6. After... Paul gets bitten and shakes off the viper. It says, however, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. So these natives go from thinking that Paul is this wicked man, that a viper is attacking him, but now because Paul is not dying, they're like, whoa, he must be a god. And we see that these natives, they were, they're undiscerning. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, we need to have discernment in our life. We need to know when the Lord is opening and closing doors. When God wants us to have faith to move forward. Sometimes we, we see doors closing and we, we think of it as an attack from the enemy, but it could be the Lord wanting to shut the door on things. Now, one moment these People are looking at Paul as this man who was evil and next he's a God. And I'm reminded of how in this world that we live, at times people are going to look at a public figure and they're going to love them and adore them. And then the next moment when that public figure says something that is controversial or says something opposing to their ideas and belief, they begin to hate and mock them. And that's the society that we live in, that people are so fickle. Even in sports, one moment 
you got your guy who's like, oh, this guy's going to, you know, take the team to the next place. And then all of a sudden you're just like, oh, man, this guy was did not make it out. And people can turn on them. It's like, oh, forget that guy. We don't want him. Send him back to the angels. But seek not the praise of man. People can be so fickle at times. In verse 7, it says, In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So Paul is being favored by God here in this island of Malta. There are, are men who are leading leaders of this small island who are receiving Paul and some of the men with them, and they're being very hospitable to them. Now, this guy, Publius, he had a, a father who was sick, very ill with dysentery, which has like terrible diarrhea. Don't Google search it. Now, what I notice here about what Luke is writing in verse 8 is he's, because Luke is actually a physician, a doctor, he's giving his doctoral diagnosis here. He's saying kind of like his little input of like he lay sick with a fever and dysentery. Like Luke knew. Luke was a doctor. And what did they do? They laid hands on this man and the man was healed. See, there is healing. There are miracles that take place still to this day. The gifts of the Spirit are still active and being used today. In James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, we read, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. So that's why we practice to this day the laying on of hands, anointing with oil. This is where we get this doctrine from. Do you guys understand how we get our solid doctrines that we practice today? There's a, a threefold rule that we will use as a means to determine if something is a doctrine that we should continue in. That first rule, number one, is did Jesus teach it? Because if Jesus is teaching it, we know it's straight from God himself. Number two, did the apostles teach it? These apostles would have been the 11 disciples and then the 12th being Paul. Were, did they teach it? And then thirdly, did the early church teach it? And that early church being what we have read in the book of Acts, what some of the epistles speak of. Because there's certain times in the Bible when Paul will write to a specific church about how the women were to wear head coverings. Now, that teaching was for a specific church in their specific culture because in that culture, if the woman was not wearing a headdress, then she was probably a prostitute. And so he wanted to kind of protect that church from having uh, mixed feelings about that. So he just asked the woman would wear their head coverings in that certain church. But that wasn't what Jesus taught. And it wasn't what the rest of the apostles taught. So that's where we find those solid doctrines is that threefold rule. Did Jesus teach it? Did the apostles teach it? And did the early church teach it? So the laying on of hands, you just see that with Publius, he gets healed. And then in verse nine, so when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. You see, the hospitality of the natives. And what I realize is that these 
natives had these visitors who just were shipwrecked on their island. These Romans, some of them Jews. And I I do recognize that there is, because these people are visitors into their land, a, a very genuine hospitality. Jesus said that a prophet has no honor in his own country. You see, sometimes there is, when there's familiarity, when that, that prophet would try to talk to his family members, they'd be like, oh, it's, it's just little Sal. He needs to, you know, go away, shoo. <laughs> and when there's that familiarity, sometimes it, there's a lack of honor in it. But when that same person then journeys and ventures out to people who don't know him, they give him the floor. They give him respect and honor in that, in that way. And that's why missions work has its strength of the people showing honor to visitors in their land and it opens the door for the gospel to be spread. Now, I'm not saying that it, you can't be in your own country and, and spread the gospel. I, absolutely, you should be doing that. But there is that benefit. Sometimes people say, oh, why missions? Why can't we just... Uh, stay here and work with the people here. You know, we got a lot of unsafe people here and absolutely we, we do. But when you journey to a different country, it kind of just opens your, your faith up where you, you almost step into this realm of, of, of being a new person now because nobody there knows you. And you could allow the Holy Spirit to work through you and the lessons that you learn, you come back, you share them here. Continue in that. So they're loving on Paul and his brethren. And then in verse 11, after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. So now they're journeying still, continuing through the Mediterranean towards Rome. It speaks about these twin brothers as the figurehead of an Alexandrian ship. An Alexandrian ship is a ship from Egypt. And the twin brothers would have been these Greek gods, Castor and Pollux, who were sons of Jupiter in Greek mythology. And they were supposed to have this power to save men who were in danger at sea. But as we just read last week, when God allows the storms in their life, that boat's coming apart. We must have God as our refuge. Nothing else. It says in verse 13, From there we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Putoli where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appi, Forum, and Three Inns. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. So now, as they're journeying through the Mediterranean, notice how the brethren constantly comes to them. They find the brethren, and then the brethren hear about them, other brethren hear about them being there, and they go to them. And as they journey to meet up with their brothers, it notes that the Apiforum, which is actually a distance, Apiforum was 43 miles from Rome, And three taverns is equal to 33 miles from Rome. And Luke is mentioning these miles, not just to state, oh, like, you know, this is the Google Maps distance from here to here. He wants us to know this is how far these brothers traveled to get to one another because they loved one another. This is how deep that love of fellowship can be amongst brothers and sisters in the Lord. And how awesome it is when brothers and sisters in the Lord, they meet up, they fellowship, they talk about the things that the Holy Spirit is doing, about callings and about strengths and and desires. We encourage that. That's why we're called Redeemed Church Fellowship. And it's been a terrible 
heartbreaking issue with me of like COVID. Okay, we can't fellowship. I remember that was a, a tough one for me for some time. And thank the Lord, he's opened up the door for, for a gathering like this. And I look forward to when we get together even more so. When we look back and see, man, this is, you guys remember 2020 and how crazy it was? We realize the, the gift of fellowship. That fellowship is a gift from the Lord to us. And things are going to open up. So in the meantime, one of the things that uh, Pastor Dave and Zunza had uh, told me when we first started shutting things down, when we first had a step back from the city of Glendora, he said, hey, uh, mijo, he calls everyone mijo. He says, uh, you know, why don't you uh, do like a, 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 a live stream over the internet? You know, play a couple worship songs, you know, because one day this is going to be over and you're going to want to look back and say, okay, like, well, what did I do during my, that time? Little did we know it was going to be this long. But that word of encouragement to me that, that he, he shared with me because he saw me as, you know, his little brother. Uh, he, uh, it's encouraging to have brothers like that, that can pour into you. So I encourage you guys. I know the women, you guys have your Friday night thing. Don't let that stop. Keep it going. Keep encouraging each other in the Lord. These guys were journeying across the Mediterranean 43 miles, 33 miles. This is not a, a quick trip to CVS down the street. This is far. But they were doing it because they loved Jesus. They loved one another. It says in verse 16, now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now, as Paul is there, finally makes it to Rome. After all this time, Paul is put in prison with liberties. He was given liberties as a prisoner uh, he wasn't in a, a cell at this point in time by himself, but note that there is always going to be a guard with him. And I wish I could have seen some of the conversations that Paul might have had with each and every one of these guards. And he says like, oh, you're a Roman? He's like, I'm a Roman too. He's like, okay. And then the, just the conversation opens up. And then he's like, oh, so you like sports? He has, hey, did you hear about Jesus? <laughs> just drops it in there. And then continuing in verse 17, it says, And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans who when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you, to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain." So finally, Paul is now in Rome. He is placed before the Jewish leaders. And now it's his moment to appeal to them, to tell them, like, this is why I'm on trial. And he basically tells them, look, the Romans wanted to release me because they found me innocent. But the Jewish leaders, they opposed that the decision and they wanted to kill me so I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar, and that's why I'm here before you guys. And Paul is also wanting to assure these Jewish leaders in Rome that he's not there to speak against the nation of Israel, but that he's there because of the hope of the Messiah, the return of Christ. It says in verse 21, Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, 
nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So I love this. Paul is basically now appearing to these Jewish leaders in Rome saying, look, I'm innocent. The Jews were trying to kill me. I had to appeal to Caesar. And then the Jews are like, whoa, 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 slow down. Like, who are you? And we haven't even heard anything about what you're telling us. But we have heard about Christianity. Can you tell us more about Christianity? And Paul was probably like, whoa, like, here is the open door. He was walking into this, to this conversation thinking that he was perhaps going to have to pray and hope that God would just defend him from being killed. But now they're opening up the floor for him to spread the gospel. See, when God opens doors, no man can shut them. No one can. So Paul is sharing with them his journey and his defense and they respond wanting to hear more. See, they haven't even heard of Paul. Don't you guys love it when God takes care of those trials or those things that we're anxious about before we ever have to deal with it? Before we're put in that position? You see, that comes through prayer. Oftentimes. Sometimes we're like, okay, well, I have to have... Scenario A, scenario B, and scenario C plans uh, for this trial that's coming up, and you're getting ready to, to we're going to start with A, and then by the time you get to that point, all of a sudden it's like, oh, we don't even have to do any of it. God already took care of it. And those are awesome. When you just trust the Lord, pray for God to take care of your way. It says in verse 23, So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. So now Paul, they gave him a day. They gave him his day to come and to testify of the kingdom of God to persuade them that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one. And what did he use to show them, to defend their Christ? He used the Old Testament. I'm reminded of Jesus. In Luke, at the end of Luke's gospel, after he was crucified and resurrected, before many people knew that he had resurrected, Jesus on the road to Emmaus appears to two disciples who are walking on, the, on that road and they're so sad because their king had been killed on a cross. And as Jesus comes alongside of them, he's like, why are you guys so sad? And they look at him and they're like, wait, you don't know? Haven't you heard about what just happened to Jesus who was crucified on the cross? He was a, a great prophet and a great man and we thought that through him we were going to see the kingdom of God here now. And as Jesus in disguise is walking with them, they don't recognize him. He says, well, wasn't the Messiah supposed to be killed? And they're like, what do you mean? He says, well, doesn't the Old Testament prophesy that the Christ was going to be crucified for the world? And I'm sure he explained to them just the way Paul was explaining to the Jews here in Rome. He probably brought up a few verses from the Old Testament that I'm going to share with you guys this morning. Of all the prophecies that pointed to Jesus, the man who walked, lived, and breathed on this earth. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we read, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. 
So right here, he's pointing, well, wasn't the Messiah supposed to come out of Bethlehem? Like we just kind of celebrated this past week. Didn't Jesus come out of Bethlehem? And then he probably was like, don't you guys remember in Isaiah 7, 14, where he says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And wasn't the rumor about Jesus' mother that she had his birth through miraculous conception? They probably brought up the point of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Again, I see these Old Testament scriptures pointing to why we celebrate Christmas. In Zechariah 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Just the same way that Jesus rode on a donkey into Jerusalem. It was prophesied about hundreds of years earlier before Jesus ever did it in Zechariah's prophecies. Again, in Zechariah 11, verse 13, it says, And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. And that 30 pieces of silver, it was used to sell Jesus. That was what Judas betrayed him with. And lastly, this morning, from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 and verse 12, we read, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. You see, Jesus, the Messiah, was supposed to be counted with sinners. He was supposed to be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He wasn't coming to this world the first time as a king. He was coming as a servant, as a sacrifice. And Paul was going down their own Old Testament scriptures and he sought to persuade them that Jesus was the king. He was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And as Jesus was with these disciples explaining to them this, going from the Old Testament prophets to where they were today, the, these disciples are saying, all right, hey, look, dude, like, you know a lot about the prophecies of the Messiah. Why don't you come stay the night with us and we'll, we'll have some food. We'll keep talking. And Jesus went in with them. They still didn't recognize who he was. And then when they began to break bread to have communion, suddenly it says that their eyes were opened and they realized it was Jesus. And all of a sudden, poof, he vanishes. And they're all of a sudden are like, oh my gosh, it was Jesus the whole time. And they say, didn't it burn in our hearts when he expounded the scriptures to us? And that's the power of the truth of the word of God in our lives. So Paul explains this to them. And some of them at this point, look at verse 24. It says, and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. You see, we have those who believe and those who disbelieve in this world. Now, if you found out this morning that what you believed was false, would you still follow it? It's a question I like to ask people. You see, if I found out that Christianity was false, I would not follow it anymore. I wouldn't follow its practices 
But when I compile the evidence together, I realize that it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to believe in Jesus. If you guys like apologetics, I encourage you, go watch the movie The Case for Christ on Netflix tonight. It's an awesome movie about this Chicago Times or this Times reporter who tries to build up a case that Christianity is false and he ends up becoming a believer. In verse 25, it says, So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah, the prophet, to our fathers. You see, Paul recognizes that the scripture was inspired by the Holy Spirit. In verse 26, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their eyes, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have been closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. See, those who believed and those who don't believe were divided because people have free will. And God is in the business of allowing people to make their choices. He doesn't force anyone to love him. In verse 28, Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So the book of Acts here closes about the year... 63 AD. And then Paul would write 2 Timothy in about the year AD 66. And Paul was actually probably freed sometime after he wrote or after we read about right now. And then he would get imprisoned again by another Nero. And at the end of Paul's life, we, through church tradition and history, find out that Paul was again imprisoned and finally executed on the side of a road. He was beheaded. But we saw the adventure that Paul was allowed to have as he was used by God mightily. You see, we could have looked at Paul's shipwreck as a disappointment, but God used it for good. When the ship got wrecked, Paul had to stay in Malta. There was conversions that were going on there. And God was doing a mighty work there in Malta. And then when Paul was taken to Rome and he was there in prison for two years, he would write all of these New Testament books that we have today, like the epistles of the Romans, the Ephesians, sorry, Philippians, and Philemon, Philemon, not Philemon. But as God used this in his life as a time of growing at a time of being used mightily by the Holy Spirit. You see, sometimes we look at disappointments, but they're really God's appointments for us. They're His appointments, not disappointments. And we see this adventure, the never-ending journey that God has for us. That this life, it's not over when we pass it. This is just a pilgrimage that we have. And how God can use us mightily when we submit to Him, when we trust Him, when we allow His desires to become our desires. We can be like Paul, used mightily of God. We can be like Jesus when we simply submit to Him and when you look at Paul, the, all the adventures and places that God took him, we have that for our own life.
Because when we're living that purpose-filled life, suddenly when we are submitted to him, we have our own adventure, our own joy that God gives us. God doesn't make us all the same. We don't all have to get shipwrecked on Malta. Our adventures could be here in the backyard of a church Bible study. So may you go forward in your journey to eternity. May you be filled with the Spirit as we close this year. Again, I want to encourage you guys to be here next Sunday as we start off the new year with a a morning of, of prayer and worship. A morning of just getting our hearts prepared for this new year that God has for us. May we all stand this morning and thank him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. We thank you for forgiveness of sins, Father. Help us to believe, Lord God. Help us to trust you, Father, that your ways are better than ours. Lord Jesus, would you fill us with your peace, your hope? Father, we thank you, Father, for this year of what you've done with it. Redeemed church, Father, for starting it, Lord God, for getting us, Father, just to to grow closer to you, to be used in other people's lives. May you continue to do so, Father. We give you this new year. We submit ourselves to you. We love you, Father. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys have any prayer requests that you would like to talk about, go ahead and come up uh, at the end of um, this song and come talk to me. Come talk to my father, my mother. And we're all here to uh, just love on you guys and pray with you. Let's all stand. So wonderful is your unfailing love. Your cross has spoken mercy over me. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart could fully know. How glorious, how beautiful you Wednesday.